Thanks, Michael and the band. They're awesome, huh? Hey, if you need a, a cry room, like if you just want to burst out crying for some reason, we have one up in the upstairs corner there with a TV and a nice couch. Um, if you're new, uh, you need to know we've been preaching through the Gospel of John, and for the last three weeks, this is the third week, we've been preaching through John chapter 17, talking about community life and this amazing prayer that Jesus prays right before he goes to the cross. We've already read the whole prayer, and so today I want to go back and try to pull some of the pieces together and touch on something or amplify something that we only touched on before. Two weeks ago, we talked about God's dream, remember, and our dreams, and how our dreams attack God's dream, and we watched some of the Stepford wives and said that we dream of Stepford Church because in Stepford Church, nobody bleeds. Last week... We talked about diversity in unity, which bears testimony to that which unifies. And we watched some Star Trek, remember? Uh, watched the Borg. The Borg is a cybernetic organism that unifies by taking away freedom. And then we also watched a clip of a, a musical and said God is like a dance that unifies by setting people free. Rather than taking away freedom, giving freedom and setting them free. And then we read uh, this verse, John 17, 23. I and them, says Jesus in his prayer, I and them, Father, and you in me. Think about that. That they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we think we agree with that prayer. And so would you make us one, even perfectly one, as you are one, so that the world might know and the world might believe. And Father, would you help us understand at least a little bit how you do it? So that when you do it, we wouldn't complain too much or quit the program. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.
Isn't that cool? Have, have you seen that? It was going around the internet. It was all over the place. It was this flash mob last Christmas at the Welland Seaway Mall in Ontario, Canada. All these people just started standing up. I mean, they had rehearsed in advance. It was a choir and started singing the Hallelujah Chorus. I edited it down because it goes on for a long time, but uh, absolutely incredible. I mean, uh, right up there along with Leonard Skinner's Freebird, that's been like my favorite song since like fourth grade. Incredible. George Friedrich Handel uh, wrote the Hallelujah Chorus. I don't know if you know this, though. He actually stole the lyrics. He stole the lyrics from the revelation of St. John. John, the same guy that wrote John 17, which we've been preaching through this last month. Hallelujah means praise God from two Hebrew words, the Hallel and the Yahweh, or um, it means praise Yahweh, praise God, glory to God, uh, quite literally shine God. Hallelujah. In Revelation 5, John sees every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them joining together in this song of praise to God over something that they see on the throne. The song never stops. So as the vision progresses, John still hears the choir of all creation as it breaks into the drama of space and time as we know it. In chapter 11, John hears the kingdoms of this world. The kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. In chapter 9, the choir sings, Hallelujah to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So you see, what happened at the Welland Seaways Mall last Christmas was an outbreak or an inbreak of the kingdom of heaven into this world of space and time as, as we know it. What happened at the Well and Seaways Mall was church. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You, you know, no one person can sing the Hallelujah Chorus. And I know that because I tried. Didn't, didn't work. The Hallelujah Chorus is this amazing diversity of voices brought into this beautiful unity by that which inspires it, a vision, a logic, uh, a logos. Well, Jesus prays, make them one, Father, as we are one, that the world may believe and know. Make them one. Diversity in unity bears testimony to that which unifies. Diversity in unity is a symphony bearing testimony to its author, a symphony bearing testimony to the composer, the conductor. It's a party bearing witness to the host. It's a marriage bearing witness to a covenant of love. It's a living body bearing witness to life. Diversity in unity is a church. And diversity in unity is God. Three persons, one substance, and the substance is love. God is love. When we're united in love, our diversity is no longer a threat, but a blessing. Do you ever feel threatened by diversity? And, and by that I don't mean just that people are different. Do you ever feel threatened by other people's gifts, for instance? That other people are gifted in some way that you're not. You know, I've always complained to God. Some, some call it prayer, but it's probably better word is complaining. Complained to God that others had these cool prophetic gifts, you know, visions, words, and knowledge and stuff, and, and I didn't. 
One day, I remember I was uh, praying to God, and I said, God, you know, all my life I've asked you that, that I could see visions. And I've never seen one vision. And Susan, my wife, she hardly ever reads her Bible, and you just give her all these visions. She gets visions. How come she has visions and I don't have visions? And, and I, I think I, I got an answer. Not, not in a vision, but I had this very clear thought. Peter, you ask, how come Susan has visions and I don't? Answer, for the same reason that she has a uterus and breasts and you don't. Would you like some? <laughs> no! I mean, yes. I, I mean, no, I mean, yes, but, but not like that. You see, in reality, according to God, I already have a uterus, breasts, and a nice hourglass figure because 28 years ago, Susan and I entered into a covenant and celebrated communion. And God said, behold, the two have become one flesh, one body. And check this out. The joy isn't just that I have parts that I didn't have before. The joy is exchanging those parts and knowing another. Now, now if, that, if that doesn't happen in freedom, do you know what it's called? Rape. But in the covenant of marriage, communion in, in the covenant of marriage, it's life. Actually, it's an outbreak of the Hallelujah Chorus. And if that troubles you, read Genesis 2 and Ephesians 5, and you'll see that I didn't think that up. That's not my dream. That's God's dream. It's a good one. You know, I used to be jealous of my friend Andrew's gift of evangelism. You know, he preached here a few weeks ago. I mean, and it's really something to see. We'll be like on the other side of the world or even here, and man, all these people just come to Jesus when, when Andrew talks. I used to be jealous of it. But, but now, if, if someone insinuates, hey, Peter, Andrew Trawick is a better evangelist than you, I've learned to say, no, he isn't. He's not a better evangelist than me. He is me. We are one body, the body of Christ, bound by covenant blood. And, and if someone says, hey, Peter, Alan plays guitar better than you, I can say, hey, Alan doesn't play guitar better than me. Alan is me. And Mark is not funnier than me. He is me. And Susan doesn't see more visions than me. She is me. Susan is me. Mark, Alan, and Andrew are all me. And yet, uh, of course, they're not me. And that's why I like hanging out with them so much. Because if they were all completely me, then hanging out with them would simply be hanging out with me. And I'd be lonely. And bored. Because one person cannot sing the Hallelujah Chorus. You see, the greatest gift is not possessing all the gifts. But together offering all the gifts. And that's the Hallelujah Chorus. God is three persons, one substance. Church is many persons, 
one substance. Many persons united in the freedom of love, and that's the great dance. And so last week, we showed a video of a great dance and talked about how it bore testimony to the music that made the dancers one. And if you didn't hear the music, you'd try to listen for the music because you could see that they were one. And then I told you about all the diverse believers that joined hands and sang Christmas carols together in Romania, sparking the Romanian revolution, which uh, toppled the communist dictator, the Borg, uh, in, in Romania. And then to end the service, we sang, We are one in the Spirit, and they will know we are Christians by our love. After the Saturday service up on the hill, at the end of that song, a, a friend came up to me and he said, You know, Peter, during that last song, um, I almost laughed. And you see, I could totally relate to his comment. But not just laugh, cry. Cry because if in fact we are one, like that says, song says we are one in this way, if in fact we are one, well, it's rather disappointing, don't you think? Actually, driving home after the, the service last Saturday night, I felt kind of embarrassed and ashamed and, to be honest, something of a failure. And yet, all that stuff I preached last week and so far this week, it's true. It's, it's really true. I mean, I've seen it and, and I've tasted it. Uh, right here, I've really tasted it. Uh, tasted it. It's true, and yet it's not always true in us. Perfect in one as we are one, said Jesus. Not hardly. It's God's beautiful dream, but I live in this painful reality, and, and the beauty of the dream makes the wound of reality that much more severe. You see, it's precisely because the hallelujah chorus is so incredibly beautiful that it's so painful when it stops. And in this world, it stops. It stops and leaves a wound, a painful longing. It, 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 it stops, and everyone goes back to eating their own curly fries and bickering over what they're going to have for dessert. It stops. And you see, if you thought marriage was just about getting a roommate, I mean, if you didn't have a great dream of marriage or didn't see God's dream of marriage, if you thought marriage was just about getting a roommate, it wouldn't hurt so much, would it? But you've tasted ecstasy, and it left a wound. And now you just can't settle for a roommate. If you thought church was just Rotary Club or the PTA, it wouldn't hurt so much, would it? But you've tasted communion, and now it feels like a wound, and the wound pesters you at every committee meeting. Is this it? Shakespeare wrote, better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. But sometimes we wonder. Three times in the Song of Solomon, Solomon wrote this, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not awaken love until it's time. You see, in this world, love hurts. And so why does the great bridegroom awaken it at all? You know, church was my family as a kid. It was there that, honestly, Jesus awakened my heart. 
And then my dad got fired. Youth group was my home in, in high school. And then my youth pastor got fired. In California, I fell in love with two churches. And, and the two senior pastors were sexually abusing people in their churches. I really loved my last church and it blew up. I mean, it was like the hallelujah chorus. And then stopped. You know, sometimes God's dreams or God's dream is... It is just so beautiful that we try to possess it. We try to control it. We try to own it as our own. But then it's no longer God's dream, but our dream. And God's dream dies. You see, to control the dream is to become the Borg. And the Borg cannot sing the Hallelujah Chorus. One Sunday, I complained publicly that I'd never seen uh, visions. And Pam Renter, right there, prayed for me in, in the service. <laughs> She's sinking down. Don't worry, it's good. She prayed for me and asked that question, Jesus, how come Peter hasn't seen visions? And, and she, she heard an answer. She told it to me, and, and I'll read part of it. She, she said, I heard God say, I didn't give Peter all that he asked of me because he, if I had, he, he wouldn't need my church. He wouldn't love my church. My church is all in all. One of the distinguishing marks of the Antichrist is that he will be all in himself. In other words, he will be the Borg. And I guess I kind of want to be the Borg. You see, each one of us wants to be the Borg, that, that's the problem. Each wants to be the Borg and assimilate God's dreams and everybody else's dreams into our own. But he's the dreamer. And we are his dream. So anyway, we try to hijack God's dream. And yet even that is part of his dream. You see, even though we wreck the Hallelujah Chorus with our self-centered dreams, God has arranged for the chorus to end, at least in, in this world. It's like he gives us a taste and then takes it away. Gives us a taste and then takes it away. And picks at the wound over and over and over so it doesn't form a scab. Gives us a taste, takes it away, picks at the wound. And, and remember, church is God's people. Church is your marriage, your family, your friends, your relationships. Each this great dream that leaves a wound. We all receive wounds from broken relationships. We all do. For in this world, all relationships are broken. And so it's tempting in this world to give up on relationships and just bury the wound. And we say stuff like this. I don't know if it was him or, or me. I don't know if it was her or me. I don't know whose fault it was. I just know that that really, really hurt. It just hurts too much. And so I'm going to have to quit. going to have to to leave. I don't know the reason, but my small group is painful. <laughs> my house church is painful. Church is, is just too painful. I have to leave. I can't tell you the number of times I pray, God, church is just too painful. And, and I feel like a fool, sometimes even like a fraud. I, and, and I, and I, I want to stop. And he says, don't stop. Don't stop preaching my word. Don't stop. 
in high school, I tried out for the concert choir as a joke. Okay, my friend Dave got me to try out as a joke. And I made it. Because they were just desperate for basses or, or something. But I really, I really had a hard time singing on key. And my only hope for singing on key was to sing really loud. But if I sang really loud, you see, that I, then, I, then I could fail really loud. And that would hurt really loud. And so I just didn't sing. Sometimes we think it's better to just not sing, to just not love, to just not even hope for love, to just not sing. But if you won't sing, you cannot sing the hallelujah chorus, and then you're stuck in hell. The only place safe from the danger of love is hell. So anyway, last Saturday night, I felt a little tempted by hell. That night, talking to Susan, I said something like this. God's, you know, God's dream for church. That stuff Jesus prays in John 17, it's so good and it's so beautiful. It's so uh, amazing that, that, that preaching it makes me feel like a fool or a fraud. I thought of all the pain in 35 years of pastoring churches from Bible studies to youth groups to big congregations, and, and I, I think I, I just felt the wound, and I thought, maybe I should just stop singing. And out loud, I said to Susan, I feel like such a failure. And she said, well, Peter, what do you think it was like for Jesus that night when he prayed that prayer? You know, Jesus... Prayer in John 17 is the most beautiful, glorious dream of community that you will ever encounter. But he prayed it the very moment it appeared most foolish and appeared to be the greatest failure of all time. All time. Up until this night, the history of God's church, the ecclesia, the people called out, had been the history of brief periods of glorious community. Glorious community punctuating an unceasing slide into complete and total collapse. Failure. Theologian Oscar Kuhlman used to diagram it like this. In the beginning, you'll see there on the left, at the beginning of time, uh, God's uh, community, the covenant community, the people that he dealt with uh, were the children of Adam, and that community failed. And then the children of Noah, remember? And another covenant, and that community failed. And then the children of Israel, the covenant community, and that failed. And then the children of Judah and that failed. And then the 12. This chart represents complete, total, and massive church failure. Until on this night, just before Jesus prays John 17, John 16, 32, he says, This night you will all leave me alone. And I think behind those 11 by that point, or those 12, was that entire triangle. All those people, you will all leave me alone. The dream had shrunk to one. In the morning, his church, the chosen people of Israel, and indeed all humanity, will have him crucified. It's our sins and our selfish dreams that nail him to the tree. And yet Jesus still 
dreams God's dream. And he doesn't seem to think that he's a failure. In fact, Jesus starts talking about glory, about glory. You know, through Isaiah, God said, I am the Lord and I share my glory with no one. And yet Jesus begins his prayer in John 17 by saying this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Eternal life. Remember, the life is in the blood. Eternal life, maybe that comes from eternal blood. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Remember a couple of weeks ago we asked that question, what glory is that? What's that glory? Glory the disciples had not yet seen. Yet glory that Jesus had with the Father before the world existed. And yet glory that he was just about to receive that night or in the morning. Well, check this out. In John, Jesus is pictured as enthroned upon his Christ. Remember that? Or upon, upon his cross. Uh, glorified on his cross. John 12, 32. When I am lifted up, speaking of his cross. When I'm lifted up, I will draw all people unto myself. And John writes that he was crucified from the foundation of the world. His cross is the point that eternity touches time. And, and remember what Jesus first showed his disciples when he rose from the dead and appeared to them in his glorified body? Remember? His wounds. His glory is his wounds from which flows blood that is life. Eternal life. Remember the multitude singing the Hallelujah Chorus in uh, the Revelation? They're all united by something. They're all looking at something. That something is what John had seen that very night and what John would return to see in the morning to the best of our ability to portray such incredible glory. This is what all creatures are looking at as they sing the Hallelujah Chorus in the Revelation. They're looking at this. Kabilule. Kapilo, stay. As all creation sings the hallelujah chorus, they're looking at the throne. And on the throne, a lamb, as if he had been slain. And from the throne issues a river. It's a river of life. 
And the life is in the blood. The blood is mercy that we drink like wine. And the blood is judgment poured um, from those bowls of wrath, those seven bowls of wrath. And it forms a river that fills the land to the depths of a horse's bridle. The blood is God's life freely given. It pours from the wounds which are the glory of God. The glory of God is the glory of love. And God is love. And this is love, writes John, that God gave. Jesus. And Jesus did this. He took bread and he broke it saying, this is my body given to you. Wounded for you. And in the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. I bleed for you. You know, John's gospel is the only gospel that doesn't include those words of institution that we say every time we have communion. I think that's because John believes that all the words are words of institution. Communion is everything in the gospel of John, and communion is even the basis of all creation in the Revelation and even in Genesis. But anyway, on the night that Jesus consecrates communion, John records Jesus as praying, I consecrate myself, verse 19. And then in verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Do you get that? The glory that you've given to me, I have given to them. Glory given to them. What has he just given them? His body broken. His blood shed. Life poured out from wounds. Wounds that he would receive on the cross in the morning. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one. Even as we are one, I and them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. It's his glory that makes us one. And his glory is his life poured out. Love's life poured out. His glory is grace. And we're to drink it. It makes us one. Many persons, one substance, and the substance is love. We drink the very lifeblood of God, who, who, who is love. You know, bleeding unifies a body. Remember we talked about that? If a wound is perfectly connected to another wound in the body, we really don't call it a wound. We call it a joint or a connection. As we preached, a healthy body constantly bleeds. One part bleeds into another and that part into another. I mean, that's how you know that a body is, is alive. If, if the blood stops circulating, well, that body is dead. Or, or at least the part to which it ceases to circulate is, is dead. The part that ceases to pass it along. A body is many parts and one circulating substance, blood. Christ's body is many members and one circulating substance, his love. When only one member loves, when only one bleeds, 
it looks like death and hurts like crucifixion. But when all members love and give life one to another, bleed life one into the other, it feels like heaven because it is heaven. It's a body fully alive. It's the hallelujah chorus. We know the night Jesus prayed, John 17, the entire world refused to love. And it was his bride that took his life. On the cross, we took his life. And yet he gave his life. He forgave his life. So the place of our greatest shame reveals the greatest glory, and that glory of grace transforms our shame into worship. Actually, the hallelujah chorus, as we join in the song and sing, by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Revelation 5, verse 9, that's what they sing. We see on the cross, Jesus not only pays for your sins, Jesus gets the bleeding started. Jesus gets the grace started. On the cross, he infused creation with the life of love. Oscar Kuhlmann, he finishes his diagram something, something like this. See that? Blood transfusion. The, the community of God, the old covenant, is a, is a complete failure. Many persons, no substance. Until the people of God crucify God in flesh. And then he bleeds, and he begins to fill his people. He begins to fill his temple. He begins to fill his sanctuary with glory. In, in the Revelation, his sanctuary, which is his temple, which is his people, which is the new Jerusalem, which is bride, when she comes down from heaven, Scripture says she has the glory of God. Now, now that's incredible, because remember what God said through Isaiah. I am the Lord. I give my glory to no other. But you see, she is not an other she is his very body, the body of Christ. Many members, one substance. She is his bride, like two persons and one substance. God is three persons and one substance. Jesus prayed, you in me and I in them. Your love in me and I in them. You see, I think God is loving us right into the very interior of the Trinity. You know, Paul writes that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. You see, when the Father gave his only begotten Son, he suffered a wound. And when the Son surrendered his life to the Father, and for each of us, he suffered a wound. And when the Spirit descended into the darkness of our own hearts in order to bring us home, he suffered a wound. In worship once, my wife had this vision of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. She saw them sitting on thrones in, in a row, and they had their arms on the armrests of each throne in such a way that one hand would overlap with the other hand, the hand next to us, and each hand was fused from the top to the bottom with one wound. Each joined at the wound, and so she looked at it like this. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You see, I think if we saw it truly, as if from above, they would form a triangle. 
And each would be connected to the other by a spike through a wound. And inside the triangle will be us. And Jesus prayed, glorify me with the glory I had with you, Father, before the world existed. I suspect that that glory is a wound. A wound that bleeds. It bleeds the life of love. It often hurts in this world, but it turns to ecstasy in the next. In fact, it transforms this world into the next. It fills it with glory, and that love, that glory, that love changes everything. It changes differences from liabilities into assets. It changes sex from rape uh, into a sacrament of communion. It changes business from robbery into ministry. It changes society from a prison into, into a party where everyone is not taking, but everyone is, is giving. It changes the collective from the Borg into the church. It changes old Jerusalem into new Jerusalem. It changes the great harlot into the bride of Christ. It changes, it transforms this fallen creation into the hallelujah chorus. Well, the glory of God is a wound on the body of Christ. And Christ gets that wound. He gets those wounds from, from his people, his bride. And he, and he gets them this night that he prays John 17. And so you see, the bride is the source of his wounds. And yet his bride is the joy set before him. And so for her, he gladly bleeds. Jesus prayed, make them one. Why do you pray, make them one? Well, because obviously they were not one. Scripture says that night the disciples were all fighting over who got to be the Borg, who got to be the greatest. He prays, Lord, make them one. Father, make them one. But then he prayed, I have given them the glory. I've given them the glory that you have given to me. You know, for the last three and a half years, I've been seeing a counselor, David Henson, guy in this church, great guy, just offered to meet with me. Uh, I see him once a month. And mostly, um, we process feelings associated with some wounds that I've received from church over the years. Wounds of broken and painful relationships. And we all have those wounds. We all have them. Well, last Tuesday, David walked me through this little exercise. He, he had me imagine myself in a, in a safe and peaceful place. And so I imagined myself on this great beach that I visited once on the island of Eleuthera in the Bahamas. Quiet, still, beautiful. I'm walking along the beach alone. And then he says, Peter, now imagine Jesus. And so I did. I, I imagined him walking to me kind of on the water like you'd expect. And then he said, Peter, now ask him the question that troubles you. And, and without a pause, it just came right out, of my, right out of my mouth, at least in my mind. I said, Jesus, Jesus, am I a failure? And immediately... This is what I saw. 
Now, I don't know how much is my imagination, but I believe that I imagined what's true. I said, Jesus, am I a failure? And he just started laughing. I mean, I don't know, but maybe that's like a funny question in the land where he comes from. I said, Jesus, am I a failure? He started laughing, and he, and he held out his hand. And I saw that brilliant and glorious wound. And then he motioned to my hand. And he had me hold it out, and I held out my hand, and I saw the very same wound. What if every wound is orchestrated by God? What if every one of your wounds is an invitation from Jesus to share his glory? What if my every complaint to God is really a complaint that he's giving me his glory? What if? What if God lets me experience his dream? Tastes his kingdom, then takes it away and picks at the wound, hoping that I wouldn't quit, but that I'd be willing to bleed. I'd be willing to love, just as he has loved me. I mean, do you realize that every wound can be his wound? Or maybe is his wound, if in fact you are his body. He bears your wounds. You see, I don't know how much of that wound I saw on my hand was my own fault. I don't know how much of it was my own fault. I don't know how much of it was somebody else's fault. But if I give that wound to Christ as confession over my own sin or forgiveness over someone else's sin or confusion over which is which, if I give the wound to Christ, well, then it's Christ's wound and it's my wound. We share the wound and the wound bleeds love. What if God gave you a family, gave you some friends, put you in a marriage, even sent you to church in the hopes that you might learn to bleed for his dreams. So that you might learn to love as he loved you. And so we're made in his image. And so we're prepared for ecstasy where everyone bleeds, everyone loves, everyone sings. That you might learn to love so even now, if only for a moment, you might sing the hallelujah chorus for some lonely consumer at the shopping mall. What if? What if? You see, if the wounds on the body of Christ, which is us, are his glory? If the wounds on the body of Christ are his glory, well then, well then maybe you shouldn't quit your marriage. And you shouldn't give up on your children even though there's such a pain. And you shouldn't bail on your small group even though it makes you feel kind of insecure and raw and naked and vulnerable. And maybe you shouldn't just give up on church. Because just when you think they're not working, that's when they're beginning to work because you're beginning to bleed for someone else the way Jesus bled for you. And do not believe the lie. That is not your shame. That's God's glory. You know, most people run from relationships just when they start to work, just when they begin to bleed, just when the glory is about to fall. Most people run from relationships Maybe in some sense, all people run from relationships, except Jesus. 
For on the night that he was betrayed, given up by all, he took bread and he broke it, saying, This is my body, given to you, wounded for you. Take and eat it. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup and he said, This is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. My body broken, the blood spilling out, this wound bleeding for you, the glory of God. Hallelujah. Dark cups are wine, light cups are juice. They're both love. They're both life. If you want him, and he wants you, we invite you to come forward, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cups, and, and worship him. And yeah, this world hurts, but don't be afraid. Don't give up. Your sorrow will turn into joy. Remember, he just told the disciples that. Your mourning will turn into dancing, really, really great dancing. This scattered, messed up world will turn into the Hallelujah Chorus, a new heaven and a new earth, and glory will fill all things. In Jesus' name, that's the gospel. Believe the gospel, ingest the gospel, and become the gospel. Amen. You make all work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. So do you believe that? Really? Even your wounds? Because here's some painful news. In this world, you will be wounded. That's just a given, okay? Whether you're a follower of Christ or not a follower of Christ, you'll be wounded. More and more and more wounds until a really big one called death. Here's the great news. Every wound is a doorway. Every wound is an invitation. Every wound is a school, the school of love. And so you can hide your wounds and cherish your wounds and let no one touch your wounds, and if you do, it turns into hell. The, the wound becomes hell, festers and becomes hell. Or you can surrender your wounds to Jesus. And surrendering them uh, may look like confession. It may look like forgiveness. It may uh, look like a variety of things. But if you surrender them to Jesus, you'll bleed love. And so as I was um, preaching this morning, as we journeyed through this sermon, you probably began to think of some wounds. Man, she hurt me. Or he really hurt me. Or my kids hurt me. Or my mom or my dad hurt me. Or maybe I hurt them. We well, know if that other person is a believer, that's called church. And according to the scripture we just read, he wants us to be one so that the whole world could be one. So even if they're not a believer, they could potentially be, be church. And uh, that wound um, is an opportunity. It's a doorway. And so if you would, let's just take a moment, okay, and offer our wounds to Jesus. Can we do that? 
Just close your eyes. Now, there was some great theologian that said, if, if you imagine what's true, that's called faith. And, and I, think that's, I think that's right, um, because you're believing what is reality. And Jesus told us that he's here. He's, he's right here, and you're here, and you know that you have wounds. What's troubling you? Do, do, do you have it? Now, I want you to say this quietly in your heart after me. You don't have to say it out loud, but thinking of that wound, just say, Lord Jesus, I give you my wound. Now, do you realize that that wound is on his body? That's what Isaiah says. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and with his stripes we are healed, and you are his body. And so, seeing that, surrender that wound and let him bleed love. Let him bleed forgiveness. Let him bleed confession. Let him bleed compassion. Let him bleed mercy. Let him even bleed hope. I think that maybe is one of the hardest things to bleed. To, to hope is painful. But bleed in hope. For the sorrow turns into laughter. The mourning turns into dancing. And he is the one who turns it all into the hallelujah chorus. And now I think he has this to say to you. You are not a failure. You're my glory. In Jesus' name, may you believe the goodness and the grace and the glory of our Lord, the good news. Amen. Hey, uh, if you'd like to stick around for donuts and such, they're downstairs and we'd love that. Also, if you'd like to pray with someone, and you know, God provides us with other people, and Actually, that's where wounds can be so cool because you can have a wound similar to someone else and God will really, really use that. Well, we have a couple prayer people down front here. This is Dick, and Dick's a pastor and missionary and Shirley, who's just an absolute sweetheart, and they would love uh, to pray with you. So if you'd like prayer, we invite you to just come down front and pray with one of them. But whatever the case, have a great day. Amen.